0: RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Why,
1: Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks.
0: And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is our website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush, and on social media. Just search out Crush Performance, and we can hook up there for sure. Well, listen, we got a really busy show today, so let's get after it. It's the Olympics, and I absolutely love it. And I know the Olympics take place every two years, winter, summer, winter, summer. But it's like I've forgotten how much I absolutely love the Olympics. And I really do, for so many different reasons. This Olympics, maybe even more, it's kind of disappointing that the fans can't get in there and, and enjoy these events live. Because I think that's such an important part of sport and for the athletes who've dedicated themselves. Um, I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference. But but most certainly, it, it changes the feel of the entire event. We know that for a fact. We've seen that, you know, through this whole COVID madness. Um, so, you know, the controversy around these Olympics, of course, is the fact that they're actually taking place. The whole COVID issues and uh, the protesters in Japan, you know, because of the COVID and the exposure that might happen as all these athletes and volunteers and people from around the world, you know, come to their country. And it is quite an important conversation to have. But I am personally just really glad that they found a way to make these games happen for the athletes more than anything. Can you imagine what they've gone through in terms of, you know, restructuring and re-strategizing their preparation? This is a, for some of these athletes, a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, You have to qualify, for the most part, to represent your country at the Olympics, regardless of what sport you're in. And to go through that qualification process against the best athletes in your sport, in your country, um, that's, that's a tall order in itself. But then to go compete against the best of the best from every country, well, that's what the Olympics are all about. And of course, these Olympics are, are a little different because I, I don't think everybody is there that would have been there had this gone off without the, the COVID madness. Uh, but all in all, it has been just spectacular to watch. And and I'm not sure the medal counts mean as much this year simply because, yeah, it's a different landscape and there are missing athletes. And, you know, even right now, as we look at, at what's happening over there, there's been some positive tests. I think as of right now, there's been over 150 positive tests for people involved directly with the Olympics and well over a dozen athletes pulled out of their events because of positive tests. And, uh, man, that is just too bad. Oh, my gosh, do I feel for these athletes. But but it's an exciting time. And, you know, that medal count, as I mentioned, it's so fun to watch that leaderboard at a normal Olympics. Um, it's not really a good statistic to begin with, especially in these Olympic Games, again, because not everybody is there. But even in the best of seasons, when everything is is perfect, the medal counts just aren't a really, really good indicator Of What's going on out there for for a number of reasons hear me out here see if you agree with me here, you know going to the Olympics in Tokyo, there's 206 nations there's 11,656 athletes competing. Now listen, there are 13 nations that have just two athletes. And then on the high end, the USA is leading the pack with 613 athletes attending. So right there, the numbers are skewed, right? I mean, some of these countries don't have a large population. That's another factor. I mean, if you think about it, okay, let's look at the leaderboard right now. Japan's leading the way. Japan has 127 million people. And right now, as we record the show, the U.S. is in second place. The U.S. has 330 million people. China's in third, 1.4 billion people. And then the Russian Olympic Committee is in fourth place. They have 146 million. The population of Great Britain is 68 million, pretty close. Australia is next at 25 million, then Canada with 38 million. So just look at the discrepancy of the talent pool, for crying out loud. That's a factor you have to consider. And then the number of athletes that are attending is so skewed. And again, you know, if you break down all of those numbers, there are some incredible things going on inside of global sport. And I think one of the most fascinating things from the crush perspective is Norway. Now, Norway is not really in the running here for uh, the Summer Olympics, the Summer summer Games. But boy, oh boy, if you go back to the 2018 Games in Pyeongchang, they they were so special to watch. Now, Norway has a population of 5.3 million people. And at the 2018 Winter Olympics, they led... All countries with 39 medals, All right, They sent 109 athletes. The U.S., as a, as a comparison, sent 242 athletes. The U.S. had 23 medals at the end of the day. Norway led all countries in 2018 with 39 medals. It's fascinating with 5.3 million people. You almost want to go over there and dissect their sport development system because there is something special going on in Norway. You know, we watch Canada as well. Of course, I'm from Canada. So uh, I'm going to try to stay as neutral as possible here. But here's what I can tell you about Canada. Their uh, national sporting system is incredible. The long-term athlete development program, which came out of Canada, Sport Canada, uh, developed that entire program. It's been adopted and changed and used by almost every country on the planet right now. But Canada's sports science is fascinating. And it really, really changed going into the 2010 Van- Vancouver Olympics. Coming out of Salt Lake City, uh, looking towards the next Winter Games 2010 in, in Vancouver, it was, a, it was a turning point for Canadian uh, sport, on the national scene anyway, for summer and for winter. The amount of resources that Canada put into athlete development was fascinating. But seeing it firsthand, I can tell you this, the trickle-down effect has been incredible. Okay, and all I'll say is, and and I can get these numbers for you if you want, just write me. Okay, just write info at Crush Performance and I'll send you these numbers because I've got them. We've looked at them. I look at them all the time, as a matter of fact, because I'm so fascinated by this stuff. But um, if you look at uh, what Canada is doing in the professional sports, in Major League Baseball, per capita, the number of players who are involved there, look at NCAA Sport per capita, how many Canadians are competing in, in the NCAA. But if you look at the NBA right now, if you look even the NFL, the trends in the NFL, incredible. But look at the world golf stage or tennis. Look at the NHL, of course. I mean, NHL, I think we're Canadians make up more than 50% of the league. But it is actually absolutely fascinating how um, the commitment to sport development at the national level influences youth development. I think that's what's happening in Norway right now. We're going to reach out to the Norway Olympic committee here after the Olympics. And we're going to talk to the people there about what's going on in Norway. You can look to Australia as well. Again, Australia has a population of right around 25, actually they're probably closer to 26 million people, but man, they are fascinating to watch in terms of how they compete on the world stage. So a lot of great storylines going on in terms of the medals. But again, I'm watching sports that I wouldn't normally watch. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Olympics, you know, and I, for me personally, and I'll I'll talk about this more later in the show, but I've really enjoyed like seeing surfing. I've never really had a chance to watch surfing. Now I, I really do now want to go to a live event. I don't know how you'd see it live. I mean, I get it's pretty, you know, you're, you're out there a little bit, but it would be good live. But the television coverage of the surfing at the Olympics was fantastic. Table tennis, Whoever watches table tennis, N- not not here anyway, we just don't get it on television, but I would watch that. I certainly watched it at the Olympics. Skateboarding, you better believe it. All these cool sports that we don't usually get exposed to, we're now watching and oh my goodness, the talent levels. Who the talent levels. That's why I truly absolutely love the Olympics. One of the interesting stories coming out of the games right now and we'll have to talk about this more as the games progress, but is um some of the ages of these athletes. Now, I went back and we did a little homework, all right? In Tokyo, we watched a table tennis player who was 12 years old competing with the world's best. Now, should that 12-year-old have been there? Should that 12-year-old have been competing at the Olympics? So I went out in the first round. Hen Zaza from Syria was, was the, the kid's name. Fantastic player. I so saw him playing, go, 12 years old? I said, is a 12-year-old equipped? For the world stage of of international sport? I'm not sure. So we went back and did some looking. You know, the youngest athlete to ever medal in the Olympics. You have to go back to 1896, the Athens Games. In 1896, there was a 10-year-old Greek gymnast who actually medaled to help their their country, help his country, win uh, that event. 10 years old, winning a medal at the Olympics. So it brings up this whole idea. Should there be an age limit at the Olympics? Well, there's no minimum age sent by the IOC. The individual sports can designate minimum ages for international competition. Like uh, uh, the International Gymnastics Association, for example, has a minimum age of 16. You cannot compete at the Olympics unless you're at least 16 years of age. Boxing is 18. So, you know, skateboarding, for example, there's no minimum age. If you have a five-year-old that just rocks it get them into the Olympics. Now, is that the best thing for these athletes? Well, that's a deep conversation for another day. And it's something we're going to dive into because I'm not sure I agree with 12 year olds and 10 year olds competing on the world stage. What an experience that would be. All right. Um, And I guess maybe if you qualify and if you're good enough and some of these kids, man, some of these skateboarding kids, Holy cow. Come on. They could, they could board. So, so I don't know what the right answer is there, but the pressure involved here, look, we saw Simone Biles withdraw from the team event in gymnastics. This is the most decorated gymnast in the history of the sport. Potentially, no, without question, the greatest gymnast in the history of that sport withdrew, not because of physical reasons, but because of the mental side. Now, it just happened, so we don't really have a clear picture of what's going on. We have the media reports, which you can only, you know, take for what they're worth. But until we hear more about why Simone withdrew, um, I think it really does lend to this whole idea of the amount of pressure that's involved when you get into a competition like this. All right. So we'll talk more about that. One of the other things that's really going on in the games There's actually a couple of things. Of course, the COVID uh, that we're dealing with and, and, you know, making these games happen in this landscape. Incredible. Um, there's a tropical storm moving in right now. Fingers crossed, but they're adjusting schedules to compensate for this storm. And imagine that as an athlete where you think your your event's five days out and all of a sudden you got to compete tomorrow. Man, that's athlete management. We're going to watch out with great interest. And the heat, man, it is hot over there. 90 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit, 32 to 35 degrees Celsius. It is smoking hot. And on that note, okay, we're going to cut out for a break. Coming up after the break, Competing Exercising in the Heat. We'll be joined with Dr. Duran Naidu who is a founding member at HealthPoint Medical Centers. He's also the medical director and head team physician for the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club and the Edmonton Elks Football Club as well. Uh, Just a wealth of knowledge. We're really glad to have him on the show today because as high school and collegiate sports get underway, uh, high school pro camps are opening up in football right now. Uh, College camps will be happening soon. And the heat, the thermometer is still up. So we're going to talk about Dr. Nadeau about competing in the heat. Listen, this is a very serious conversation. There are athletes dying every single year from from a heat stroke and it's 100% preventable. We're going to talk about everything you need to know about exercising, conditioning and even working in the heat right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. It's an incredibly important conversation right after this.
1: Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush newsletter, podcast and performance info at CrushPerformance.com. Now back to the show. Cross your heart,
0: hope to die. Move your lips, tell another lie if you're gonna curse. Choose your words wisely. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. There you have some of the sweet sounds from our good pals over at the Whale and the Wolf. One of my favorite bands. It has been a lot of fun watching these guys bring it together. And even through COVID, make it happen. And I can't wait to see them live. You can check them out online, Well, and the Wolf. All of their incredible music is there. You know, one of the bands that I just love to play here on the show. You know, that music industry is such a talent pool. I, I love everything about it. And there's so many symmetries with sport. I mean, anybody that works out has a tune or a playlist that they just love. I mean, I've got my my skiing playlist. I've got my mountain biking playlist. I've got, you know, playlists for everything. And of course, you know, the 80s playlist for all of our, when I'm coaching the soccer team out with the players and they love it. The players love it. So I uh, want to thank those guys for letting us play their great music. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. That's crush with a K. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on every other social media platform. Search out crush performance and you can connect with us there. All right, let's get down to it. Boy, oh boy. You know, we just talked about the Olympics there. And the one thing that is really, really happening is the heat. Dealing with the heat in sport, man, is a really, really difficult thing. But also, you know, for life in general, but on, on the job too and the work site. You know, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to heat. When we're joined right now by Dr. Duran Nadeau, founding member at HealthPoint Medical Centers. He's also a professor of medicine at the University of Alberta and the medical director and head team physician for the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club and the Edmonton Elks Football Club as well. Dr. Nadeau, thanks for coming on the show.
1: So glad you could join us today. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Thanks for having me uh, to chat today.
0: Yeah, well, an important conversation today. And on a more serious note as well, we've just been through an incredible um, period of heat here, a historical heat wave uh, earlier in the month. It's cooled off now, but we know the heat will return. And right along with this heat, of course, the opening of sport after COVID. And we're in a time of the year where football camps are underway. We see the CFL now underway. NFL camps are opening and we know college and and high school and community football is not far behind a really important time. Dr. Nadu, I think to talk about heat exercising in the heat uh, for anybody who's out there right now.
1: Well, I think it is. I mean, you know, if I think about the different, uh, you know, organizations I work with, uh, obviously, um, uh, with the Edmonton Elks, uh, uh, football uh, club you know our coach Jamie Elizondo and also Brian Cheeseman our our head athletic therapist have really uh, looked at the temperatures and looked at the schedule and I mean I go down to my uh, um, kids playing under nine and under 11 baseball and uh, their season's just wrapped up and you know we had days where um, we had to practice in the shade and some days where most of the players didn't come. So, you know, this really looks at, uh, you know, from the the six and seven year olds all the way up to the professional athletes. Uh, This is a very important uh, time. And, and, you know, I know that our Canadian Olympic team uh, did a lot of uh, planning uh, of how to play in the heat uh, uh, as, as they're on uh, in Tokyo right now.
0: Yeah. And it's, it is an, it's a very important conversation Because unfortunately, every year when the heat hits, um, unfortunately, it can get very serious and even deadly. And and there are uh, recorded deaths every year. It's very, very preventable. And I think understanding this monster is step number one. And I think, Dr. Nadu, what what a lot of people don't maybe realize is there are sort of stages to this beast, right? I mean, there's different levels and warning signs that you can be incredibly aware of and and maybe um, use them as as a guide to your personal health and and exercise and even for your team or your athletes as well.
1: No, there are. And I think, you know, the way we break it down from a medical perspective is really looking at, um, you know, three main stages. Um, of, of heat-related illness. And, and the first is heat cramps. And, you know, that's where you get severe muscle spasms. Um, we think that it's, you know, due to the loss of obviously water and the salt following exertion over time and heat. Um, and most often it can be in the hands, the calves, the feet. And they can, be, they can come on spontaneously and stop on their own but typically people have this, these symptoms that persist for, you know, a day or two. And I think what, you know, a lot of people think is, oh, I, you know, I'm just getting back into sport and I'm just cramping up a bit. But if you're having generalized cramping and you've been out in the sun and and, and it's been hot and humid like we've seen uh, in Edmonton lately, um, this could be the first stage of, of a heat-related illness and, and you really need to make sure you are are, are hydrating properly. The next stage is called heat exhaustion, Um, and this is more than just feeling uh, fatigued. Um, And and it really occurs, again, in high temperatures, uh, humidity, and and a lot of strenuous activity. And it's when the body's core temperature gets to around 39 degrees Celsius, give or take. Um, The American literature would say between 101 and 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is where you might get a headache if you're out in the sun uh, exerting or even a low-grade fever. You might feel nauseous or you're really, really thirsty. Um, and despite all, you know, even taking in water, you, you might feel just generally weak and your, your muscles are, are cramping or, or aching more than usual um, as per the first stage uh, heat cramps. Um, and, and you might actually get a little bit agitated and anxious because of it. But you know this this really is heat heat exhaustion, and and what you're doing, your body's trying to regulate and and your body's having trouble regulating. And so this is where your mood might change and and you're getting these other um, um, signs and symptoms. And finally, you know, you could get to heat stroke, and that's the final stage of heat related illness and and it's really considered a medical emergency. Um, this could be potentially a fatal. Um, if, if people don't get the proper treatment and this is when the body's core temperature really kind of goes over 104 degrees Fahrenheit or into those, you know, 39 and a half degrees Celsius and and really people are confused, just not sweating anymore really dry skin almost even though it's so hot out Um, and some people will actually even get into convulsions or seizures so I mean obviously we don't want it to get to the heat stroke type um, uh, uh, stage because I think heat cramps and heat exhaustion are are really simple symptoms to pick up on if you're a parent or a coach or you're exercising yourself that says, Hey, I need to get out of the sun. I need to hydrate. Um, so those are the stages and, and really looking at, you know, how to prevent them is very important.
0: Yeah. We're talking with Dr. Naidu, Nadeau, uh, medical director for the Edmonton Oilers, the Edmonton Elks football club and founding member at health point medical centers. Yeah. This is really, really important. And even in the cool weather right now, it, you know, as we get set for August and, you know, high school and college sports are right around the corner but you mentioned something really important there—the kids just out playing. Even it might not even be uh, sport-related; they might be out just horsing around with their friends. It is very, very important to understand that kids and maybe the older adults as well might be even a little bit more susceptible to this. The these types of things, um, and it doesn't have to be sport-related either, does it, Doctor Naidu?
1: No, you know it doesn't. If you're outside and you're working. Um, uh, whether you're doing a landscaping job or working in construction, and sometimes you have to have a lot of gear on. um, These are very important things. And, you know, we have a a lot of great employers out there um, who are very aware of these things. But, I mean, I think you as a person has to be aware of it. So it does transcend sport, and it does transcend elite sport and and competitive sport. There's a lot of people who like to go out and, and walk, um, and there's a lot of people who like to, you know, jog. And and I think that's the important thing. It's not only in elite athletes who are wearing a bunch of equipment that uh, heat-related illness can occur in. Dr. Nidu, let's
0: say we're coaching or you're a parent and your kids are in the backyard playing or you're uh, coaching a uh, a soccer club or a baseball team and you notice some of these symptoms. When we talk about prevention or dealing with some of these symptoms, um, you know, you know, we all kind of understand first aid, hopefully if we're working with kids, but, but what are some of the first steps if, if we do see some of these symptoms going down or, or God forbid, there's a heat stroke episode, uh, we're involved in.
1: Well, you know, I think when, when anyone is, is showing some danger signs of heat exhaustion, which of course can lead to heat stroke, cause you really want to get the person out of the heat. And, and simply paste them in a cool environment. If you're outdoors, you get them to shade. Um, if you're outdoors and you have the ability to get them into a pool, there's, uh it's cool and air conditioned, and that might even be a vehicle with, uh, turned on with air conditioning. You wanna put cold water on, on the individual. So sometimes, you know, you'll see during football games, they'll have the, the big tubs of ice water um, where they take, um, towels and put them over the players heads or on the back of their neck and so these this is that principle of placing cold water on person you really want to try to bring down their temperature and and another way of doing that is giving them really cold beverage obviously we don't want it to be alcoholic or caffeinated um, but we want them to drink start with cool water if there's anything that's on them like tight or heavy clothing that may be keeping the heat in we want to get that off And, uh, you know, a lot of us don't have temperatures around, but if you are, sorry, thermometers around, uh, but obviously we want to get their temperature. And when you go, um, obviously in this situation, we're trying to get the person to an emergency department so they can be monitored. So if you ever find yourself having to do these steps, you know, in the meantime, you're either calling. Uh, EMS or 911 or if the person is relatively stable you know you're getting them to that medical attention uh, and if you're not sure then that's where you can call a 911 and walk through that with one of the uh, um, people who are on the other line. Um, so you know that's that's our real what we do with danger signs but I know one of the things uh, you asked in that question is how can we you know plan um, to prevent these things, yeah, um, and and I think that's that's the key, not to get to that that heat exhaustion or or heat stroke situation. So you know what, especially the way our um, society has been with COVID right now, we kind of you know had a switch that was off, and then we turned on um, and said, okay, you guys can start doing an activity. And if you liken it to maybe a training camp like the Edmonton Elks are having, you know, when when the players came in to do the training camp, they went through really a period of acclimatization. And that may take a few days. So if you're starting your new sport in August and it's hot outside, you know, if you're a coach, you can look at gradually Um, doing practice uh, times where maybe you start at 30 minutes and maybe by the end of the week you're up to over an hour and also graduate the intensity people are doing. In organized sport, we will do daily weights of people. And I think that's something I tell my patients is before and after your run, do your weight. For every pound you lose, you should have a 500 ml bottle of water to, to drink um, if you're someone who is one of those, uh, people who sweat and, and, it's a really salty sweat where you get white, uh, around your skin or in your cuffs, then you can alternate water and sport drink, um, access to shade. If you're a coach, you really need to have areas that are shaded. You won't need to stop for frequent hydration. And I, I think my goal for most people is going through one of those 500, ML bottles of water, at least one of those every hour of exercise. Um, You want to know a little bit about the medical records of your people. Um, Like you said, there's people at all ages doing things. So if people have, uh, in African-American athletes, a history of sickle cell disease, if they have a history of heat illness, if they're on any medications, like certain blood pressure medications, uh, ADHD medications, allergy medications, you know, those are really important things where these people might be more at risk. Um, you know, the other thing to have in really hot days is to bring out a cooler with ice packs or an ice tub in case someone starts to feel a little bit unwell um, and have those breaks um, where they can maybe do cooling and hydration. And finally, you know, this, this might be the most obvious, but sometimes it doesn't um, always seem like it's the most obvious is... Try not to train during the peak hours of the day and really the peak hours of sunlight. And really, that's probably somewhere between 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. where it's going to be the hottest. So try to either do early morning or later in the evening training. Um, and if you play sport that has heavy equipment or gear, such as maybe football, you could have some practices where they're allowed to take off that gear and take off their helmets. Um, so I think those are some of the important points, um, you know, that I really, uh, you know, would give advice to, to coaches about. And if you're a little more sophisticated, you know, you always look at the color of your urine. If it's nice and clear, that means you're well hydrated. If it's darker, that means you're dehydrated. And I know in the locker rooms of our pro sports and university sports teams, right by the bathrooms. There's colors of urine charts, and, and we ask players to look at that. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a bit of an approach of, of the emergent stuff and how to prevent it as a, a coach or parent uh, as you go into sport.
0: No, it's such an important conversation, Dr. Nadia, especially now, as you mentioned, you know, we've got the green light post COVID. So everybody's chomping it the bit to get out there. And then we're all of a sudden hit with this massive, massive heat wave. And you know, then, then, then top that with some of the air quality uh, issues that we've been having because of the wildfires that adds another layer of concern that we just need to be aware of and we need to manage it. I really do like the idea of of the planning, you know, you know, just, just understanding, uh, you know, having shade available, uh, understanding your, your athletes and some of the medications they might be on, or if there is a medical condition, um, but also, you know, even the level of conditioning of your athletes. And I really do appreciate the the idea and the concept of, you you mentioned of having, you know, a couple of days acclimatization. And I think that's something that's really ignored, especially at the developmental levels of sport.
1: No, I, I agree. I think, you know, especially in the times where everyone is so excited to get going because we've been on such a pause for such a long period of time. But I think, you know, that's, that's where, you know, when when you're lucky enough to, to be exposed to professionals and professional coaches um, in professional sport, you really see that planning that comes in um, uh, into, um, you know, comes to fruition. And I think what you see is um, in well-organized sport and people who have experience, they look at that. But I think, you know, we can do a better job of educating um, people who are not full time professional coaches in how to approach uh, these types of problems.
0: Yeah. And with football season coming, this is a really important conversation. You know, I drive the Anthony Henday every day and watch these construction workers out there with their hard hats, full jeans on, all the safety equipment as well. And I just want to stop and give them a cold drink of water because, boy, oh boy, uh, that's a tough one. Now, you know, we all know what it's like to be out on the field practicing in competition. Everybody's hyped up full pads. I like the idea of maybe, you know, mixing it up a little bit and shorter practices or pads off practices, walkthroughs even.
1: No, I agree. And, and, you know, I think there's different components of practice uh, that you, you need to do contact in and the ones that you don't need to do contact in. Um, I think taking uh, you know, some of the equipment off, um, and, uh, you know, if you're worried about receivers, uh, you know, needing the helmet on to catch, well, maybe they can take off their shoulder pads and, and even do some of that in, in shorts. Um, you know, when you're really doing high temperature exercise, that's important. And, you know, if you look at our Canadian Olympic team, our, our softball team, for example, they were relocated to the U.S. in a, in a climate that was hot and humid, just like Tokyo, um, and, uh, and I mean, we saw their, their start to the season, um, uh, to the Olympic season in the last couple of days and, and, and really they were ready for those, uh, environmental conditions. And, uh, and, and so I think, you know, these are all kind of small little things that make a big difference to athlete health.
0: Yeah. No question about it. Dr. Naidu. thanks so much for this, uh, very important conversation um, it is something that I think, you know, if we can just raise awareness and have these conversations, maybe we'll help somebody avoid the uh, dangers of that heat stroke, condition that, that we mentioned earlier.
1: No, uh, I agree. And I think, you know, um, if, if you're to do anything, it's, um, look for that shade and keep hydrated, keep drinking all day, uh, before, during and after your, um, activity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's so great to see so many young kids uh, walking around with water bottles these days. Um, and I think, you know, in, in organized sport, we are definitely getting, getting the message across uh, to some extent.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, we're creating that culture where it's just, hey, part of what you do if you're an athlete. And that is actually pretty exciting. You're right. Dr. Nadu, thanks so much for the conversation today. We, we can't wait to have you on again. Thanks for having me, Justin. There you go, Dr. Duran Nadeau, uh, founding member at HealthPoint Medical Centers. You know, one of the things they've really established over there is sort of that locker room approach to medicine for for young developing athletes, for weekend warriors, for anybody out there. They've really tried to create that pro sports atmosphere at these clinics. I love it. So glad to have them as a partner. But even more so, uh, being able to talk to people like Dr. Nadeau about these important topics. Just fantastic stuff. So much great information right there and things that you can apply and use right now but it is important to understand and know what to do in the terrible event of heat exhaustion or god forbid heat stroke Uh, and that's why this conversation is so important all right hey we have to cut out for a quick break when we come back we'll wrap up the show we'll talk about upcoming shows and we're gonna get to a couple questions from our mailbox so stick around everybody more crush performance right after this
1: You're listening to Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell. Get The Crush podcast, newsletter, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show.
0: Welcome back to Crush Performance. Reach out to us. Questions, comments, smart remarks. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. All right. Time to wrap up this show. Fantastic discussion from Dr. Nadu discussing the dangers of exercising and working and just being in the heat. A lot of great information there. A lot of very important information there, especially if you're coaching athletes or dealing with athletes in the heat. And that whole idea of just preparing, being prepared for it, that's half the battle. If you're prepared for it, you can make it happen. But the number one priority is just managing the volume and intensity of work in the heat. You know, the less you can do at the hottest times of the day, the better. Early mornings and evenings, of course. It seems like common sense, uh, but sometimes it can get away on you. And you'd be surprised how often it does. If you look at the number of deaths each year that are related to heat stroke, it's alarming. It's happening way too much and it's 100% preventable. And that's what, that's what really, really gets me. So conversations like this are so, so important right now, especially as we are, uh, you know, wrapping up the summer here. And of course uh, we're going to be keeping our eye on the Olympics. We'll be talking about the Olympics right through to the closing ceremonies. Such great Great performances going on there. And kudos to Japan for just making these games happen. So great to see these athletes finally competing at the Olympics. Still a lot of controversy around these games. Uh, but man, I-, I totally forgot how much I miss the Olympics. How much I love the Olympics. Isn't that weird? I mean, it's on at our house 24 hours a day. We'll watch reruns of reruns. Um, but there's so you can't see it all. I think there's six channels covering different events at one time. They all get replayed and off hours. And so I'll try to catch it all. And I'm going to tell you one of my favorite right now was the surfing without question. These are sports you you would not normally watch and I don't normally watch. So great to get exposed to some of these sports. You know, I've tried surfing a couple times, but boy, oh boy, they were ripping out there. It makes me want to get really good at surfing. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of surfing going on way up here in the north. I'll have to chase those waves. You know how some of the guys chase the summer. They chase the waves around the world. I wouldn't mind being one of those guys just for a year or two. You know, I think you'd have to be good at surfing though. But I'm telling you what, next level stuff. So cool to see surfing and the coverage was fantastic. Man, I, I totally loved it. You know, the sports that you wouldn't normally watch. I guess that's one of the great things that, that I personally love about the Olympics. I mean, I, I wouldn't normally watch field hockey. but I am watching field hockey. And some of the strategy in the and the plays that are are getting, you know, and I'm talking, you know, structured, you know, programmed plays that uh, these players are, are ripping off. It is fascinating to watch because you don't get to see it that often. I really, really enjoyed watching table tennis. Who knew? You wouldn't think table tennis is an intense sport. I honestly don't think I would be able to return one shot. You know, maybe that's something we need to do. We need to reinstate the Moo Challenge. i got to reach out to Moo. Moo loved the Olympics as well. Our previous co-host on the show, um, he loved the Olympics. You know, we're going to have to reach out to Moo here and maybe get the Moo Challenge going again. Can you imagine facing a world-class table tennis player? Now, I can play a little bit, you know, with the pals in the locker room, you know, playing with the players or my buddies. Uh, But I am not even close to that level of table tennis. And that was incredible to watch. Uh, The other thing that I really enjoyed that I don't normally get to see other than the X Games, maybe skateboarding. And isn't it interesting to see the IOC making a shift to this more cooler, hip type of sports, especially in the winter sports as well. You know, the park stuff, the snowboarding and the skiing, the ski cross, the racing and all the cool stuff that's going on in the Olympics. Good for them. I think it's great for sport. You don't need to be in one of the main, main top, top five, top six sports to compete man you can be in some of these cool you know sort of niche sports that are now really making a name for themselves so so much fun to watch all right well listen uh we'll be watching uh, right up to the closing ceremonies much much more to talk about as well coming up in the next few weeks uh, episode number three of the science of sweetness listen we might have created a monster here the crush war on sugar is uh, taking the shape of the science of sweetness and we're just talking about mainly. How does the food you eat impact your body, your brain, and your performance? Because if you look at the statistics out there, man, we are going in the wrong direction. We are losing that battle. And I think mostly it's because people just don't understand. And Dr. Anduise Allen, the Chief of Biomedical Research at the Glycemic Research Institute, is our go-to person. Listen, I have been around a lot of people who talk nutrition, who understand nutrition, who teach biochemistry and food science. But I have never met anybody who understands the entire system A to Z better than Dr. Andouise Allen. She is truly a world treasure. And I'm so glad that not only do we have her on the radio show, but we're working on some incredibly important things behind the scenes. Listen, it, this is going to be an exciting year, and and it, and it's not something that's happened overnight. I met Dr. Allen almost uh, 18 years ago, and I was so enamored by the science. And you know, of course, back then I was the uh, head of strength and conditioning for the Toronto Blue Jays, and you pride yourself in your knowledge. You know, I, I, at least I did. I really, really prided myself in my in my knowledge base and digging down deep on issues that would that would support and help my athletes perform. And and that would help me design programs, A to Z, by the way, uh, for them to put it all together. And one of the big priorities back then was, of course, the supplement industry and understanding nutrition and biochemistry. That's how I came across Dr. Allen. That's how our paths crossed. And I'll tell you right now, what a humbling experience. You know, sometimes when you meet some really special people, you kind of get, boom, slapped in the face, piece of humble pie. This is awesome. Just awesomeness. And, and not not that they're flaunting it or that they're arrogant or anything. They're just awesome. Just flat out awesome. Whether it's an athlete or a musician or, or maybe it's a teacher, a great teacher that's just awesome or parents, whatever it might be. You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, listen, that's what it was like when I met Dr. Allen. And, and, and it was humbling because some of the things she talked about, I didn't sleep for weeks. Listen, I didn't sleep for weeks because I didn't know that I didn't know so much. And so now <laughs> when you look up on my corkboard, I'm looking at it right now. It says, what I don't know could fill a warehouse. And that's when I started thinking like this. And I, I saw that quote somewhere, I'm going, bingo, that's it. Because the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. And so you kind of have to keep your head you know, in the game and understand what's relevant at the time. And that's kind of, I hope, what we're doing with the show here. So the science of sweetness is coming up. We'll be talking more Olympics for sure. We're, we're also gonna look at the NCAA. Look. Uh, talking to Dr. Naidu today was fantastic, uh, talking heat and heat exhaustion. But listen, high school pro, uh, sports seasons are coming. The collegiate sports seasons are coming. The winter, fall and winter sports are coming. And it's coming post-COVID. There's a lot to talk about there. But inside the NCAA, there has been some gigantic changes in the landscape. And that has to do with the way athletes can now monetize their personalities monetize their likeness, monetize their names, new ruling. It's an exciting time for sport. And we're going to be tracking down Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports. If you don't follow Front Office Sports, uh, you really should. I follow them. They've got great information. It's about the business of sport. We're going to talk to Adam about um, this shift in the landscape and a course that they're hosting. It's called the Athlete Marketing Essentials. It's going to teach athletes how they can go about, you know, making the most of their time as a collegiate athlete. Look, the NCAA makes billions and billions and billions of dollars. And the athletes, well, they get a scholarship and they get maybe room and board and that's it. So it is time for a change. I'm all in favor. But are we opening a Pandora's box? How are we going to control this monster once it gets going? We already see athletes. Uh, or conversations, at least. I don't know the logistics of all this. We're looking into it right now. But I'm hearing rumors that athletes are now requesting $10,000 just to do a post-game or pre-game interview. That's going to be troublesome. That's going to be troublesome for the sport itself. you know, Because uh, some of these athletes, these, these news outlets aren't going to pay that kind of money. Come on. So anyway, it's going to be an interesting conversation we're tracking Adam down. And also, in the next few weeks, we're going to be revisiting the conversation around the return to sport. You know, as we mentioned already, um, the return of fall sports is coming. Football camps are underway. High school collegiate sports are going to be in full swing coming up here at the end of August into September for sure. I want to revisit return to sport and some of the things we really need to discuss and think about as we get back into it. Listen, after missing an entire competitive season, it's not as easy as just stepping back into it. And I think we're seeing that already in some of the pro sports, uh, the injury rates. And, and why are these injuries happening? Well, listen, you just cannot compensate for a lack of competition, especially when you're at the higher levels of sport, where you're, you've already mastered your craft. You know, you're an expert in your sport. Um, so for the elite athletes returning to sport is one conversation, but also at the developmental level where youth sport is is getting back into swing, uh, there's also uh, considerations there as well. So we're going to talk to the experts at Advantage Sport Medicine and Physiotherapy about some of the things they're seeing as sport returns and some of the things that we feel you need to be thinking about to stay safe, injury-free, but maybe most of all perform at your very best. I can't wait. So, we got a jam packed August coming up, everybody. I want to thank Dr. Nadu again for joining us today. I want to thank you for tuning in. So, until next week, get out there, have some fun, stay safe, and go get better. Talk to you then.
1: Goodbye now. Don't forget to write. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast.